Thanks for listening to one of our messages at Crossroads Bible Church. We gather on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. in person and online. To find out more about our church or to connect to any of our ministries, visit our website at crossroadsbible.org. We hope you enjoy the message and pray it encourages you as you seek to follow Jesus. Well, hey, and I stand over and then I set off the alarm on my timer and you're thinking, you have a timer? Yeah, I just don't listen to it, all right? Um, welcome to CBC. My name is Charlie. I'm the senior pastor. If we haven't met, come say hi. I'd love to talk to you after the service. Today is a day when we dive back into Matthew 10, but before we do that, I've asked that you guys would be praying for something today. Our students are at No Agenda. They're in Tyler, Texas. I always call it Pine Cove because we used to go there. Now they're at Sky Ranch, which I refer to as the ugly stepsister of Pine Cove because I'm a Pine Cove guy, you know? And uh, no, man, it's, it's, it's one of my favorite weekends we do in our student ministry. It's called No Agenda. We take some students into a camp somewhere get them away from all the things that happen in their life and just say, we're not going to have an agenda, but we're going to follow Jesus together. And why I love it is because so often we need to be reminded that we don't plan the work of God. God just works. So often we need to be reminded that you can connect with God outside of like a really cool worship experience and a dynamic speaker, right? It reminds us that God works all the time as we're walking and as we're waking. It's a really beautiful weekend. So, so pray for our students right now. They get back this afternoon and I know that God was good to them. If you're new to CBC, we, before we dive into the scriptures each and every week, center our hearts around what is good and worthy in our Christian community, recognizing that the world outside of Christ is different than the values of Christ. We live in a very critical culture that puts us at the center, and in this space right here, right now, we know God's going to meet us. And so we don't come into this space trying to find what's wrong with. We come into the space saying, God, what are you doing in my life? Holy Spirit, how are you working in and through your scripture to form us more in the image of Jesus? And so we just take a minute to separate those two. I'm going to ask that we pray together, that you pray with me. I'll give you some time to pray that we might see what the Spirit's doing in our lives so that we might see more of Jesus as we live our lives. Pray with me. God, I'm thankful that we can be here, that we can come together and center our lives around something that's worthy of our worship, center our lives around the ways and rhythms of Jesus, even when it's hard, which is what we talk about today. I pray as we open your scripture, Holy Spirit, speak to us. Let us find where you're speaking to us and how you're calling us to live into the ways of Christ. We know you're near and we we pray that we can see how you are changing and forming us through the power of your word this morning. If you're comfortable, just take a couple seconds and say a quick prayer, a silent prayer, and ask the Holy Spirit this morning to show you what Christ is calling you into today. I ask you to pray for me that God might use the preparation and um, just the power of his word to show us his goodness, not a person and and not not a specific message, but that we might see the goodness of God working through my work this week. (laughs) 
Pray these things in the name of Jesus and all God's people said, amen. Today, Matthew 10, we're going to pick it up in verse 16 and go to 25. Today is about persecution. Yay. (laughs) Today is, this whole text, this next two chapters we're going to be in for the next eight weeks or so is tough. It's the first time Jesus sends his disciples out and he knows what's coming for them. He knows that it's not going to go like they think it's going to go. He knows that they're not going to have beatitude moments with people flocking around them saying, yes, this is good. He knows it's going to be difficult. And for the first time in our text today, he tells his disciples, this is not going to go well for you. But I remember I grew up in this area. I grew up in a Christian home. I grew up and I went to a Christian school. I was very much around people that wanted Jesus things for me. And we live in a Christian culture. I had a prof in college that said, if the South is the Bible belt, then Dallas is the belt buckle, right? We have so many churches around here. We are a more Christian culture than much of our culture in the United States, if you look at the whole spectrum of things. So I I just thought that everybody celebrates Jesus, and I didn't have a whole lot of experience with people that didn't celebrate persecution. I went to Chicago, and my school, my college, was right in the middle of downtown. And there used to be this project district called Cabrini Green right across the street from my college that's gone now. And when I got there, there wasn't much left. There was just a couple housing uh, developments. And I was working for this nonprofit with this nonprofit we're throwing a pizza night, and I remember I said to some of my friends, to other 19-year-old girls, I said, hey, let's go and let's invite some kids to come to this pizza night on Friday. So we went over to Cabrini. Not very smart. I mean, I know what you're thinking. Charlie, you look like you'd be formidable in a fight. You could handle yourself. Um, when you laugh when I make those jokes, it really... But, but seriously, I went and I thought, man, nothing bad is going to happen. Uh, we go into this one set of row houses, and we come out, and then we go into another. And then when we came out of that one, because we saw some, some high school kids that we wanted to talk to and just invite over, these cops pull up, like paddy wagon Chicago style, you know? These cops pull up, and they screech around, no kidding, and they pop out, and they grab these two girls, and they take them over by the car, and this cop grabs me, grabs me by my throat, throws me up against the side of this paddy wagon, and says, what are you doing? And I thought, this is not how I thought this was going to go, <laughs> you know? I said, hey, man, I go to school. Like, right? He said, I don't care. And he said, you're, you don't understand that I think you're lucky to be walking out of that building with the people you walked in with. And I said, but I'm doing this for Jesus. And he looked at me and said, some people don't need Jesus. Go somewhere else. And I thought, wow. It's the first time a little Christian bubble popped. He wasn't like, well, how can I help you in your cause for Christ? We live in a culture now that is seemingly more hostile to the ways of Jesus than it ever has been. I can throw numbers out at you all day long that tell you that the number of people for the first time in, since they've taken numbers from like the Barna Group and, and Pew Research is below 50% of people that say they belong to a religious community. I can tell you that there's been a study done from 1977 onward that asks, do you trust pastors and clergy? And for the first time, that number is 37% say they, they highly trust and more don't than do. I can throw numbers out at you that talk about how Christians feel like they're more out of place in the places they call home in this country. I can do that, but you know it's true. You know it's true in just small ways, like now there's soccer on Sundays, and that's a good thing. I love soccer on Sundays. But as a society, we don't value the things of God like we used to. There's all these metrics that talk about churches' benefits in the community, because churches, although we don't pay taxes, property taxes, really, really help communities. 
You, you can look at crime goes down when churches go in, families stay together, education rates go up, uh, 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 graduation rates go up. I can give you numbers on how churches bless communities the other day, and by that I mean like three years ago. I sat on a, a P&Z meeting online for Flower Mound, and you think, Charlie, you should have all the friends. I sat at a planning and zoning committee meeting, and they were talking about some property because of a friend's church that I know that they were building and wanting to. And, and these people said, if we don't do something with this land, a church is going to buy it, and it's the last thing we need, right? Look, I'm not saying good or bad. We do have a lot of them around here. I'm simply saying that nobody on that board is like, yes, more Jesus. We live in a place that's more hostile to the ways and rhythms of Christ than we used to. So here's my question. Today we get into a text on persecution. What does it look like to be persecuted and then why? <laughs> He's sending his disciples out. He's saying, go and carry my message of goodness to all these people. Why would Jesus say go and do this? Knowing for well it wasn't going to go well for them, you know? I think when we get into the idea of persecution, fundamentally we're going to ask the question this week and next week of why does God allow it and what good is God doing through it? But before we get into that, let, let's parse terms for a sec. When we say persecution in the United States, we have to divorce that from the idea of persecution in other parts of the world and recognize that we are incredibly lucky. So we're going to use the term persecution in light of our community and in light of our country. We're not going to use it in light of others. There's some stats that I ran across this week. Overall, 360 million Christians live in nations with high levels of persecution and discrimination. One in seven Christians worldwide, including one in five believers in Africa, two in five in Asia, and one in 15 in Latin America. Every day, 13 Christians worldwide are killed because of their faith. Every day, 12 churches or Christian buildings are attacked around the world, and every day, 12 Christians are unjustly arrested, imprisoned, and another five are abducted. This is from Open Door. Look, so we start by saying we don't experience persecution like some of the rest of the world, but we have to follow it up with, it still matters. I led a high school group with an older gentleman for years and years, and every time these high school kids would come and say, like, my girlfriend broke up with me. This dude's been married for 48 years. He'd look at him and say, so what? <laughs> And I'd say, hey, Ian, it matters to them, so it's real, you know? So we might not experience persecution like a lot of the rest of the world does, and that should give us just a deepening of the grace of God to us, by the way. But we also have to deal with the fact that it does happen. It's probably going to happen more. What do we do with it when it does happen to us? And that's what we find in our text. So our text is broken up a little bit this morning. I'm going to read the whole thing because we're not going to take it um, verse by verse like we normally do. There's two parallel sections. You have 16 to 20 and then 21 to 23. And they kind of have themes that are the same in the middle of both of them. Let me, let me read it and then you'll kind of pick up on it. It starts like this. I'm sending you out like sheep surrounded by wolves so that you'll be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Beware of people because they will hand you over to the councils and flog you in their synagogues. And you'll be brought before governors and kings because of me, as a witness to them and to the Gentiles. Whenever they hand you over to trial, do not worry how to speak or what to say, for what you say should be given to you at that time. It's not you speaking, but the spirit of this father speaking through you. So he starts with this idea that you're going to be punished by the governments around you. And then he says kind of the same thing, but he starts with family in 21. Brother will hand over brother to death. Father and a father, his child. Children will rise against parents and will have them put to death. And you'll be hated by everyone because of my name. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. Whenever they persecute you in one town, flee to another. I tell you the truth. 
You'll not finish going through all the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. So he begins this moment by telling them what's going to happen. And here's what we have to understand. Whenever we go through something that's painful, usually the first thing to go is perspective. You know that? When pain comes, oftentimes perspective goes. It's when you, when you sub your toe. You, in that moment, you feel like you've never had anything worse happen in your life. Pain usually kicks out perspective. So what Jesus is doing here is he's going to tell them, these things are going to happen to you, and it's going to hurt, and it's not going to be good. But in these two parallel kind of movements of the text, what we have are three or four different promises that he gives them in the middle of the pain of what's going to happen to them. And that's how we're going to center our talk today. So it begins simply with the idea that we all know it's true. He promises in the middle of this that persecution will happen. Look at verse 16. I'm sending you out like sheep surrounded by wolves. So be wise as serpent and innocent as doves. We're going to talk about those three animals because I like that Jesus chose those. Uh, but, but first he starts by saying, I'm sending you out uh, like sheep surrounded by wolves. Here's the first thing that you know and I know. And if you're in a church that doesn't tell you what you and I both know, go out the back doors or the front doors, you will suffer some kind of persecution for following Jesus. You will. That's why it says you're going to be surrounded by wolves. It's not like, hey, they're going to be 97% got you, but you can get out through the... Re it's not about missing the opportunity to suffer for Christ. Jesus says you will, you will. In this text and many others, you will undergo persecution when you are followers of me. So what that does for his people, for his disciples, it lets them know that there's not a way out of what's going to happen to them next. It sets their expectation by not allowing them to be disappointed in God when their expectations are not met. He's saying, you will be surrounded by wolves. And then he defines them as sheep. There's a lot of things written about why Jesus calls us sheep. But I think one of the things to remember here, he's sending them out in hostile territory. And he says, you guys are going to be like sheep. Sheep were not intimidating people, nor were they powerful. This week we've talked to the staff a lot about what Easter is going to look like and planning for it. And there's a concept that we're just kind of getting into that I'm loving right now. It's called the concept of downward mobility of Christ by a guy named Henry Nouwen. And basically what he says is the way of Jesus is constantly choosing downward mobility, not upward grasps at power. Starting in Philippians 2, he emptied himself and came so that he might serve even to the point of death. And so Henry now is a priest, and he's going to say that if we want to follow after Jesus, we have to understand the power dynamic in the kingdom of God is usually giving up power for the greater good of others. So Jesus says, I'm going to send you out into this world, and you're going to be like sheep. Those that don't have power and don't try to get it because that more aptly reflects what my kingdom is all about. And the way that we impact the world around us isn't through attaining power, it's through serving those with the power that he might give us. It's a beautiful beginning because when we talk about persecution, when somebody punches me in the face, I want to punch him back. And it begins this section on persecution by actually calling into question their character when they're persecuted in the first place. Here's what you're going to be like when people are mean to you. You're not going to fight for the power they have. Rather, you're going to be like sheep. And then he gives them two more animals. He says, you're going to be like sheep surrounded by wolves, wise as serpents and innocent as doves. So what he's doing is he's saying, before we get into how you're going to respond and what's going to happen in persecution, you have to, you have to understand your character going into it. There's a pastor I know and follow, and he says it like this, the move of the Spirit 
is inward to conviction, not outward to critique. So what he's doing, he's saying, before we go, this guy's terrible, these people are terrible, this guy's bad. Before we get into what's wrong with you, we understand that the move of the Spirit causes us to challenge and question our character that it might align with the goodness of God. And so he says, you're going to be like serpents and you're going to be like doves. And those two pair together really well from an A&E perspective, ancient Near East perspective, and a first century one. Serpents were crafty, you know? They knew, uh, they knew wisdom. It goes back to the same word here used in Genesis 3 with the serpent, kind of crafty and, and, and knowing how to react and interact with the society around them. It's the opposite of naivete or being naive. And so what he says is, you're going to be wise about the people around you. Another word to translate there that a lot of the, the texts have is prudent. I think if we're translating this to a 21st century application, I'd look at Christians and say, pick your battles wisely, you know? I think so often as a church, we think we're being persecuted and really we're just being jerks. <laughs> and there's a difference between that. I think what Jesus is saying is you're going to go out and you need wisdom as to when to talk and where to talk and what to say and how to say it. You need to understand the context that you're going out in. You need wisdom in how we talk about Jesus together. Because if we get the same amount of mad over every little thing that people disagree with us and, and uh, people disagree with followers of Jesus for, then over time, you don't hear anything. My wife is a gasper, right? And I'm going to explain that. But when we got married, um, I didn't realize that if anything happens, like anything happens, there's this loud, I, it's hard to describe, but she gasps like somebody died if she drops an egg. Does that make sense? So I remember the first time we got married, and I was in the other room. We had a small apartment, and something happened, and I really thought, like, she cut off a limb when she was cooking, you know? And she goes, just this, this large, like, ah! And I said, are you okay? And she said, yeah, I, I dropped the fork. <laughs> I said, well, hey, look, that is not a proportional response. My point to this is now she still does that, but now when she gasps from the other room, I don't even, it doesn't even bother me at all, you know? So one time she is going to cut off a limb, and I'm like, well, you made your bed for this moment, you know? When we're Christians, we don't pick our battles well, and we're not wise in how we interact with culture. So often we're so loud for so long that people stop listening to us in the first place. I think what he says in a hostile culture is understand how you speak and when you speak matters, but then he pairs that with being as innocent as a dove, and that word there in the Greek just means pure and unmixed, uncontaminated. So he's saying, you're going to use wisdom, but your motives have got to be clean. And he gets to this place with the people that follow him, that he says, essentially, if you are wisdom without any kind of pure motive can be manipulative, but, but innocence without wisdom is just naive, you know, and we need both. So before you go out in a culture that's going to persecute you, understand who you are and understand the message you have and understand your role in this. It's so easy in the middle of persecution to always blame it on other people. But we look inward to what the Spirit is doing in us as he forms us. And so he says, I'm going to promise you that there is going to be persecution. And then he continues. He says, beware of people, this is verse 17, because they will hand you over to councils and flog you in synagogues. And you'll be brought before governors and kings because of me. 
And that parallels in the bottom section with this idea that, that brothers and fathers and children will be split. This idea that you will find divisions where you wouldn't normally find divisions. What Jesus is going to do is he's going to cause people to not only persecute you, but he's going to cause people around you to, to cause derisive against you that normally would not. He promises persecution will come, and then he promises after that that it's going to be difficult. So if you're a Jew, you just heard that your people are going to start beating you. And that's what they did. Paul talks about it three or four or five times. They were able to give you 39 lashes, and that happened to most Christians. If you look at how the followers of Jesus died, none of them died on their own accord in their own way. And so the people that you think would fight for you are actually fighting against you. He says that you're going to see that happen. You're going to see that happen in your homes, and it's going to be really, really difficult. They're going to come out against you when they used to be for you. And you're going to be 22, hated by everyone because of my name. So I think we've made our case, but it just goes back to the idea that we're going to be persecuted because we follow Jesus, especially in a culture that fights against the ways of Jesus. Especially in a culture that seemingly has had enough of Jesus and his rhythms and his ways. There's one author that put it like this, you can hate them or love them, but you can't ignore them. Wide awake Christian confronts others with the reality of God. These people must be crowned or crucified because they're either mighty right or mighty wrong. He promises, if we follow him well, that we will, in essence, be persecuted. But it doesn't end there. He also promises to use our persecution. So then we get into the why a little bit. There's a writer and a philosopher named Charles Taylor. He wrote a book called The Secular Age. It's very good. And he talks about Western societies and how they no longer view suffering as something that has a deeper meaning, but that our goal as Western individualists, our goal in suffering and the highest goal is simply to prevent it. We don't want to use it. We want to get out of it. We don't want to learn from it. We want to stop it. So as people, when we see suffering, we don't ask the right questions of what's being formed in us. We ask the wrong questions of how can I get out of this as quickly as possible. But when Jesus talks to his disciples about persecution, he promises it's going to come. And right after that, he says, but I will use it. You see it when he says, and you'll be brought before governors and kings because of me as a witness to them and the Gentiles. And this is the beauty of God. This is the beauty of God. We all have questions about why bad things happen in the world. God has my favorite answer. And one of them is that he doesn't cause it, but he can use it because he's bigger than it. So God doesn't want you to suffer. He doesn't want you to be persecuted, but you will be. And he says, when you are, I am bigger than that moment and I will use it. If you look at Paul, for example, in Acts 16, one of my favorite stories. So Paul's praying, God delivers from prison, delivers us from prison. He's with Silas and an earthquake happens. And their jail cells open, and their shackles fall off. In the Roman world, if you were responsible for prisoners and they got free, you died. You absorbed their fate. And so the text tells us that this guard is about to kill himself. And Paul and Silas show back up and say, don't. And that day forward, he believed, <laughs> you know. This beautiful example that God uses our persecution so that people might see the goodness of our God. Paul puts it like this in Philippians 1.12. I want you to know, dear brothers and sisters, that everything that has happened to me here has helped me spread the good news. For everyone here, including the whole palace guards, knows that I've been changed because of Christ. And because of my imprisonment, most believers here have gained confidence and boldly speak of God's message without fear. A couple years ago in 2017, 
there was um, a bombing at a church in Egypt that I read about, and it stuck with me. This guy named Father George, and he led a Coptic community over there. And it killed 50 parishioners, and it injured more than 100 on a holy day, you know? And he says, just hours after the blast, Father George stepped before his packed church and gave the terrorists a three-point sermon that went viral worldwide. It was entitled, A Message to Those Who Kill Us. And his points were, thank you, we love you, and we're praying for you. Father George said, thank you, because the terrorists gave the dead um, the honor to die like Christ and because it shortened their way home to Jesus. He said the made their community recognize that they get to suffer with Christ. He says the church was, in fact, now overflowing with people who didn't ordinarily attend. And so then he said, we love you. Because even murderers and thieves love those who love them, but only followers of Jesus are taught to love our enemies. And he closed his message with the we're praying for you moment. He said, because, quote, if a terrorist could taste the love of God even one time, it would drive hatred from his heart. John Piper says it like this, our joy in Christ in spite of slander is what shows the the slanderer the preciousness of Christ. So in the middle of the unknown of all of the persecutions, Jesus promises that they will, it will be used. I need to know that, that my pain's not going to no good. And if you skip down in the text a little bit, you can go to verse 23 if you want to. But again, with these two parallel texts, he says, I'm going to use it because you're going to be a witness and people are going to see the beauty of God in the middle of persecution. And then also he says, if you're being persecuted, flee to another place. And this is the story of the church in the first century world. He not only uses persecution to show people the beauty of Jesus, he used persecution to get the word of Jesus out because people don't like change. And he used persecution in the first century world to push the message of Jesus to other places. And in the end there, he talks about how it's not going to get done while you're alive, so keep going in verse 23. He talks through the benefits of persecution is simply that God uses it so that people might see a full picture of why we believe in Jesus in the first place and also because it pushes his message to places it might not go otherwise. God uses our persecution. But then two, he promises to be with us. If you look at verse 19 and 20, whenever they hand you over to trial, do not worry about how to speak or what to say. What you should say will be given to you at that time. For it's not you speaking, it's the spirit of the Father speaking through you. <laughs> this text is, is, is pretty monumental in Matthew. So if you could look at the four Gospels, you see different personality in each. And, 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 and Matthew is by far the least mystic of all of them. He doesn't really dabble in the supernatural. He has the least references to the Spirit of God and the Holy Spirit of all of them, and it's by far. John is Bethel over here, talking all about fire tunnels and like slain in the Spirit and live this way. Matthew is like CBC. We have a powerful moment with God, we give him a golf clap. You know what I'm talking about, okay? All right? Not a bad thing, just who we are, everybody. Yeah? So what Matthew does is Matthew says in this moment, it's one of the most powerful moments where he ties the presence of God to the people of God in mystical ways. He says, you're going to find a moment when you're terrified, when you're persecuted, when you don't feel like you know what to say, and that's when God will speak through you. Over time, this text has been used to kind of say, I don't need to study or, or know the scripture because God will speak through me. That's not what he's saying here. In the first century, you can go to Acts 24 and read it. In the first century, you would get put on trial in front of the best prosecutors. 
And the movement of Jesus was started by a movement of people that didn't have power from disciples onward and usually weren't educated. And so they were terrified. They'd get in front of these law courts, in front of these governments and systems and friends and family, and they would be embarrassed because they can't hang. So, so what Jesus says is, in that moment when you're terrified, my presence will be with you and I will speak through you. It's a moment of comfort in the middle of the pain of persecution saying, I will go with you. And then again, you see the flip side of it in verse 22. You'll be hated by everybody because of my name, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. He's promising the presence of God in the pain of persecution. This is not a verse that says, if you don't make it clearly, you didn't make the cut in God's eyes. That's not what he's saying. He's speaking to a group of people that are going to lose their life and that are going to watch their loved one lose their lives. And it's the promise of hope that the death that they went through doesn't define what they're doing. In the middle of it, he can say, no, 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 no. You might die, but you will get Jesus. So if I knew someone that was persecuted and that died, I can say, I know where they're at. And if I'm going through it, I can stand there and say, I know where I'm going because death doesn't win. It's the beauty of the promise of the presence of God in the middle of the pain that so often goes with persecution. I love what one writer said, the reward of heaven will more than compensate for any suffering we must endure in the service of Christ. And then finally, I think what we see in our text is that fundamentally, in the middle of persecution, the promise of Jesus is that it will make us more like Jesus. See in verse 25, a disciple is not greater than his teacher, nor a slave greater than his master. It's enough for a disciple to be like the teacher and a slave like his master. If they called the head of the house Beelzebul, how much worse will they call the members of its household? I like that Jesus ends here. This to me is the most profound part of this text. Do you know why? Because they don't know why this is going to happen. They don't know when it's going to stop. They probably have questions on why Jesus would allow it to happen. And sure, they get the presence of God promised to them and, and they get purpose in the middle of it like God's going to use it in the end. But, but all said and done, Jesus lands the plane in the section and you're going to be persecuted with the simple phrase that when you're persecuted, it's enough for the disciples to be like his teacher and a slave like his master. If you were called to be a disciple in the first century world, the calling was pretty simple. You can be just like me. Come on, let's go. We've talked about it at length, but these guys were passed over for discipleship by rabbis and you'd go to school for years in three different segments and then finally, if they thought you had potential, a rabbi would come to you, look you in the eye and they would say, you can follow me because you can be just like me. So when Jesus looked at these passed over people and said, you can follow me, you can be just like me, it profoundly changed how they thought of themselves and how they thought of the God that calls people to himself. And in this moment, what he's saying is you're gonna be persecuted like I was persecuted and here's what you have to know. Why are you persecuted? Because when you're persecuted, you're reminded that simply Jesus is enough. There's enough. In those moments when we question what's going on and why is it going on, we need to be reminded that when the world has had enough of Jesus, persecution reminds us that Jesus is enough for us. He says at the end of this, when you're persecuted, it's going to show you that what you're after is me and now you're just like me. Welcome. Let's show people how good I am. What persecution does in a world that so often doesn't handle it well is it reminds us what's good. It reminds us what our goal is. It reminds us that Jesus is enough because we're persecuted for him. They're about to start 
some really hard times, and next week we're going to get into a little more of what we should fear and why we should fear it in the context of persecution. But he begins this journey with his disciples by realigning their perspectives and saying, persecution's going to come, here's some promises along the way, but don't forget that the reason why it's good for you is it reminds you that it's enough just to be like me. And as followers of Jesus in a society that's increasingly harder to follow Jesus, we need to be reminded that our best good is Jesus. And and when we're persecuted, it reminds us that he is enough for us in the good times, in the bad times, in the times when it's really fun, in the times when it's not so fun. And so look, application, I'm not good with application anyway, But application is simply when you go through hard times and you lose friends or promotions or jobs or fill in the blank because you refuse to play by the world's games and standards, when you're persecuted for your faith, let's remember that we're doing it because Jesus is enough for us. That he's the why and the what. That he's the one that says, be like me, because this is what a disciple does. And And so maybe in a culture that tries not to sit in pain, it tries to get out of it as quickly as possible. Maybe our application is we simply sit in it and we're reminded what we're after in the first place. That we tell people that have a hard time because they follow Jesus, that Jesus is enough for them. Because that's what the first century Christians did. And one by one, they suffered. And one by one, they died. And one by one, they showed people that Jesus was good. It's a powerful statement to the majesty of God when we can sit in the middle of persecution and say God is still good and God is still enough. It's that kind of belief and abandonment that changes people's idea of what good is. It's that kind of life that he calls us into as followers of Jesus. He says the best good I have (laughs) is to be like Jesus. In the good and the bad, he is enough. And when push comes to shove and we're forced to suffer for him, we're reminded of all we have in him. Let me pray for you. God, I'm thankful, man, that we live in a place that even though, even though it's hard sometimes to live like a Christian, that it's much easier to live out our faith here than a lot of other places. I'm thankful that you use the persecution we might come through or you use the persecution we might face as a means to grow us as a means to show people your goodness, as a means to remind us that you are our goal. So so God, I I pray that you give us what Paul talks about, this underlying joy in the middle of persecution, not because we like it, but because you're good. Not because we want it, but because you're enough. And we know that as we're persecuted, we're like the one we follow. So give us courage and give us strength. Give us an ability to stand up for God in a culture that might not stand up for God as much as it used to so that people might see the beauty and the power of God in the love of Jesus in how we act. Pray this in his name.